Hey there, and welcome to the Rock Reavers podcast. Here we are all about believing and proclaiming the word. We're totally given to true worship and obedient in taking the gospel to the nations through missions. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope that you'll be blessed by this message. Praise the name of the living God. It's good to see each and every one of you. We are fortunately continuing in the book of Ruth, and we are still in chapter 1. So let's do Ruth 1 again. Ruth 1 again for the audiovisual team. Ruth 1. So I will read, and we can read together in the NIV. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived in Moab for 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. This great tragedy. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return back to Bethlehem from there. Now with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters, and this is the focus of our sermon today, go back, each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, or may the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown kindness to me and to my dead husband and sons. Nine, he says, may the Lord. Now this is Naomi praying for Orpah and praying for Ruth. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud. She kissed them and they wept aloud. Now church, we are still in the book of Ruth. And I know and believe that my mandate with this book is not necessarily exegetical. But God has a word that he wants to speak to our generation. God wants us to be relevant to your generation. Now your generation is the people that live around you in the days that God allows you to live on this world. Now, God called you to be relevant to your generation. And I believe that that is a message that God has sent me to tell you, to prepare you to have impact in your generation. So the tag word for this is, Malon and Kilon shall not die in my generation. That the enemy shall not have a free reign while I am still alive. That I shall participate actively in pushing back the darkness. I shall participate actively in my generation in advancing the kingdom of God and that I shall participate actively in my generation in being beneficial to humanity. 
So last week we looked at that. We looked at the mountains. And we looked at Isaiah chapter 2 verse 2 and Micah chapter 4. The prophecy about our time. That in these days the mountain of God shall be exalted as chief amongst the mountain. And men of the world, men of other mountains shall say, come, let us run to the mountain of God. Nations shall declare, we shall go to the house of God so that we may be taught his ways and we may remain in them. That the mountain of the Lord shall be the standard setter. Christians shall be the standard setter. That the hope of this world shall come from us. Church, there is a false dichotomy between church and state and church and the world. God has called the church to impact the world. God did not baptize you with the Holy Ghost just to serve in the worship team or just to serve in the usher. That is ushering team. That is one of it. But God has a broader, national, global mandate for you. Your purpose has to affect nations. Your presence has to change nations. Things in this country must change because you're here. In the name of Jesus. We live in a country that uh, is riddled and broken by corruption. Things need to change because we are here. We live in a country where right now, if you look at the elections, the hope of the poor is in Wajakoya, who is not even a believer. A man who professes Buddhism is the one who speaks the language of the oppressed. Things need to change in this country. The hope of this country has to lie in the hands of the people of Rivers Church. The hope of this country has to lie in the hands of believers. Men have done it before. We can do it in our generation. Men have done it. It is not something new. It is something that God has done over time. So this is not a new message. It is not a new thing. People have attempted things for God. And God has backed them with the power of his resources. I need you to read about a man called Abraham Kuyper. Abraham Kuyper was a prime minister in Netherlands in the 1900s. Now he was one, a pastor. Two, a theologian. Three, a um, parliamentarian. Number four, a prime minister. I believe that God will raise prime ministers from the church if the church arises and we shall take charge of the mountain of politics. He also started a newspaper and his newspaper was one of the biggest in Netherlands at his time. He started a university, one of the best at his time. We need to be tired of the culture of our lives being shaped by Gafla and Mpasho. We need to be the ones that start newspapers that shall shape the culture of this land. Abraham Koipa is a perfect example of a man who refused for Malon and Kilon to die in his generation. Most of the Ivy League schools were started by Christians. Do you know the famous Harvard University? It was started by a man called John Harvard. His name was Reverend John Harvard. 500 years that university has been in existence. Rumored, said, acknowledged to be the best university in the world because there was a believer who said, enough is enough. I have to be relevant in my generation. And God has honored him. And five or six generations later, what he started is still impacting society till today. God has called us to impact the world. God has called us to impact mountains. So I pray for you today that you shall discover the mountain that God has called you to 
and that God shall raise your mind to think of nations. That solutions for Kenya shall come from you. Pastor Kevin, you have an anointing for writing books. Don't just write theological books. Write books that shall affect politics. Books that shall affect leadership. Books that shall affect integrity. God shall give you a wisdom that the world cannot deny. When God blessed Solomon with wisdom, even secular kings trooped to him for solutions. Because the wisdom of God, the wisdom that comes from the mountain of God, is greater than any wisdom that this world can dispense. It says that at the height of man's understanding, that is the beginning of God's foolishness. According to the book of 1 Corinthians, and we have access to the wisdom of God. We have access to the one who created these mountains. So I pray that today God shall begin to stir up a righteous indignation within you. That we shall not be comfortable. That we shall not slack when the enemy is having a free reign. That it shall be said that the worries of post-election violence ended with us. That men shall think about violence and imagine that there is rivers church and shudder. I know of a church, one church in Nigeria that took over a city called Benin. And Benin used to be a city of witch doctors. Witch doctors were so bold that they would have meetings and conferences. And they would announce it on media. That we are having a conference of witch doctors come from the south, come from the west. It shall be in KICC. Until one church stood up and said, the witch doctors shall not do their thing in this land while we are still here. And by the power of God, that city turned to be a city that honors God. By the power of God, Nairobi shall change. Nairobi shall be transformed because God planted Rivers Church here. This world shall be changed because God sends servants from Rivers Church. I pray that God shall raise us into all the places of access. That we shall be the deep state. That every time someone tries to push an agenda of Satan, there shall be a Christian from Rivers in a place of influence who shall say no. A word from a believer. We will just need to call Pastor Kevin, deep state, and say, Pastor Kevin, do not allow that bill to pass because it does not honor God. We shall be men and women who shall be relevant to our generation. Now to today's message, to today's message, I'd like us to focus on Naomi. Now Naomi is a perfect example of what I believe God has sent me to declare to you today. Now it's interesting that Naomi is a widow and Naomi has lost her children by virtue of the evil that they experienced in Moab. Now in uh, Ruth 1, give me Ruth 1.9. One of the things that happens in Ruth 1.9 is when Naomi is taking this journey back to Bethlehem with her daughters-in-law, she begins to pray for them. Now Ruth 1.9 says, Naomi looked at her daughters Orpah and Ruth, and begin to pray for them. And she says, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Do you see the heart of Naomi? Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. Eight, give me eight. She says, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you, as you have shown kindness to me, and to the dead. And by the dead, she means her husband and her sons. Now, one of the impressive things that the Spirit of God was reminding me about Naomi is that Naomi 
at the depth of her pain. I can't imagine any pain deeper than losing your husband and after losing your husband, losing both your sons to death. But at the time when Naomi had lost everything and she felt that God had abandoned her, she still wished and prayed for the best for Ruth and Orpah. Naomi was not enamored by her own grief enough not to think about the welfare of Ruth and Orpah. Naomi had concern for Ruth and had concern for Orpah even when she is the one who had experienced the greater tragedy of the three. You see, Ruth could find another husband, which she did. Orpah probably found another husband in Moab, but Naomi could not find other sons. She had lost her sons, and even if God gave her new sons, those sons would not replace Marlon and Kilion. She had experienced a grief that would dent her life for the rest of her earthly existence. Yet in the midst of that grief, she still has the heart to pray, to will for the best for Ruth and Orpah. And I believe that that is what God has called me to tell you today, that God calls us as the church, as believers, to be wounded intercessors. To be people who are able to pray and will for the best for our neighbor, even when we are going through the hardest of times. That you could be here and you have just lost your marriage, but when you hear Dennis Mashauri is getting married, you are happy and you pray and you declare that, oh Lord, may this man never experience divorce. That is what it means to be a wounded intercessor. Not allowing your wounds to cloud what you will for your brother or your sister. Now, church, the Lord has called all of us to be intercessors. It's not for the prayer team. It's not for the intercessory team. It's a calling that God has placed on the heads of each and every believer. That's why the New Testament refers to you as a priest. A priest is not a pastor. A priest is a man who gives his life to stand in the gap for others. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament, the priest stood in the gap for the people of Israel at the risk of their own lives. That when they went into the sanctuary of God to pray, a rope was stowed around their waist because they might be killed, not for their own sins, but for the sins of the people of Israel. A priest is a person who decides that at times I need to put my burdens aside and consider the burden of my brother and sister, sometimes to the point of death, from the examples that I see in scripture. God has called us as a church to have a concern for your neighbor, a concern that is as great as if it was happening to you. So that when you hear your neighbor or your colleague in church is jobless, it should hurt you as if it was you who was jobless. It should pain you as if it is your brother who was jobless. That when you hear the children of the person who sits next to you in church or in hospital, you should bear that burden as if it was your burden. You should think about those children as if they were your children. This is what God has called us to be. God has called us to be wounded intercessors. It is a basic expression of the priestly mandate that he has granted unto us. So next time you quote, he has made us to be a kingdom and a priest. I pray that by the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, you shall know that part of that priestly mandate is God calling you to live beyond you. To live beyond your needs. 
to live beyond your cares and concerns. I pray that one day God shall wake you up in the middle of the night because of someone in church. Because you are disturbed by how they looked. You are disturbed by their illness. That every time you wake up for midnight prayers, it shall not just be for your breakthrough or for your gold or for your treasure or for your healing. That there are days that God asks of us to put aside our need and pray for the need of your neighbor. It is a basic call of every believer to be a wounded intercessor. Naomi is a perfect example of a wounded intercessor. A woman who has lost her husband and her two children, but she still prays for the best for Orpa and Ruth. Now sometimes the snare of the enemy is to turn your, 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 your painful experiences into theological positions. That if your marriage failed now, you, when you look at him getting married, you're like, no, just give him two years. The marriage shall fail. The devil is a liar. That shall not be our heart. That we shall be those people, the move, who shall continue singing in weddings as you wait for your own husband. So don't stop singing at the 15th wedding because, oh Lord, I have sung to you 15 weddings, my husband has not come, you sulk and you go home and you declare that I shall never sing in a wedding. Sometimes God calls you to be a wounded intercessor. Sometimes God calls you to minister to people in the areas of your pain. That as you are trusting God for a child, you shall still go for baby showers and celebrate the birth of that child as if it was your own child. Because there are times that God calls you and uses you to be a blessing to others as a wounded intercessor. That the day Pastor Kogi shall invite us to dedicate his house in Runda, we shall go with joy. That even as you are in your bed seat, you shall be, oh God, thank you for what you have done for Pastor Kogi. Thank you for the ten bedrooms. That there shall be no witchcraft of you claiming the kitchen, claiming the car, claiming the bedroom. That at that point you shall abandon yourself and focus on celebrating the blessing of God and Pastor Kogi's life. Because he is my brother and I love him and I prayed with him and God has answered. There are times that God calls you to put aside yourself because he wants to use you to be a blessing to others. I have experienced in my life of ministry a time where I have prayed for people to be healed and I am carrying a disease in my body. The days God calls you to be a wounded intercessor. And your time for healing shall come. But there are times that God wants you to be a wounded intercessor. Now the ultimate wounded intercessor is our Lord Jesus. If you look at the book of Luke chapter 24. The Bible talks about Jesus had carried the cross. For who? For you. Jesus had carried the cross for? For you. He had been whipped by a phlegm. His back was red because it had been exposed by the flesh that had been gnared by the phlegm that he had been whipped by. He was so weak, a man called Simon of Cyrene had to come and help him. And then the Bible says that the women looked at him in verse 29 and wept because he was suffering. He was in pain. But look at what Jesus says to them. Jesus tells them, weep for yourself. And weep for your children. That at the time of his greatest pain, he was not thinking about himself. He was thinking about your redemption. He was thinking about your salvation. 
Now I can imagine if some of us were to bear the cross and people were weeping for you. You know they would come baba unataka kamaji unasikia uchungu. But idea sprite. But God Jesus was not thinking about himself at the cross. Now Hebrews chapter 12 talks about that uh, Christ who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame. Now sometimes you think the joy set before him was for him. Because the Bible says and now he seated at the right hand of majesty. Do you know that he was still seated at the right hand of majesty when the world was being created? That was nothing new for him. The joy set before him was not that he would be exalted as God because Jesus was already God. The joy set before him is that the next time he sits at the right hand of the Father, he will sit with you. He will sit with godly authority to intercede for you. So Jesus was a wounded intercessor who said, "Next time I sit in my throne, I will be able to intercede for Pastor Julie. That this time I will not just be God, but I will be a priest." that this time they will be able to approach my throne of grace with confidence because I suffered and carried their pain and bared their iniquities and I have the marks to show for it because I am their wounded intercessor. Church, I know that most of us pray and ask God that I want to be Christ-like, that I want your glory to be displayed in my life. And I look at Philippians chapter 2 reminds us And he tells us, give me Philippians chapter 2. I want us to read it as we finish so that we can have time for, for Mashauri's wedding. I'd like us to read Philippians chapter 2. Verse, chapter 2. Just give me from verse 1. says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the spirit any tenderness and compassion verse 2 says then make my joy complete by being like minded having the same love being one in spirit and purpose next says do nothing what out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but in humility consider others better than yourself regardless of how they look regardless of how they are dressed regardless of their position in society the ultimate place of a believer needs to be a place where you consider others better than yourself that when those children those chokoras in lavitong run to your window to beg for money when you look at them you should consider them better than you this is the instruction in philippians chapter 2 3 4 each of you should not just look out for your own interests and prayer and resources but also to the interest of others five says let your attitude be the same as that of who Christ Jesus let your attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus verse 6 as we finish who being in the very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be grasped but he humbled himself being made in appearance to be like you Jesus did it out of humility that when Christ died according to Philippians chapter 2 he considered you better than him he considered you worthy to sit next to him and we all know that we are not worthy but the attitude that Christ has and the attitude that Christ had at the cross and the attitude that he still has today is that of a wounded intercessor
So church, I pray that God shall raise us to be a church that thinks beyond us. That thinks beyond our needs. That prays beyond our breakthrough. That gives beyond our overflow. That our concern shall be so great for our neighbor that it shall make you lose sleep. Paul Ulysses, the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now the church of Corinth had heard that there were Jews who were hungry in Jerusalem. And they gave. Paul says they first gave of themselves before they gave of their resources. And they said that they gave in extreme poverty and it welled up in joy. So they did not give because they were rich or because the GDP of Corinth was $128,000 per annum, per capita. They gave because they had a great concern for their neighbor. So I pray that today God shall raise us, even as we trust him for breakthrough, to live beyond ourselves. This is the beginning of mountains. That even when he gives you that mountain, it shall not be for your stomach. It shall not just be for your bread. That it shall be for a greater concern than you. You know, there's a book I read in high school by Chinua Achebe, and he was describing African politicians as people who have climbed the Iroko tree. You know the Iroko tree? You climb the Iroko tree and turn your backs against your neighbor. And it's the attitude that we have, that when you have made it, you have made it for yourself. Suddenly your brothers cannot find you. They start singing, Asante Baba, <laughs> I like your office, because in your office they have to get an appointment to access you. Because you have made it. You have climbed the Iroko tree. You have narratives. You are giving speeches about hard work, effort. But you forget that grace is the ultimate force that propelled you to where you are. So I pray that God shall always remind us that everything that we have is by his grace. That even at your highest level of occupancy of mountains, you shall be a wounded intercessor. That you shall work for the lowly, you shall work for the weak, you shall work for your neighbor in the name of Jesus. And let me invite you to stand as we finish. Let's stand and pray for the next three minutes. Turn to the person next to you. Neighbor, just give your neighbor one need. And I have an assignment for you. Let that be the need that you pray for this week. Let that be the burden that you carry this week. Just tell your neighbor, hi, my name is Jane. And I'm trusting God for A. And I want by the spirit of God, for God to allow us to live beyond our needs. And for this week, spend more time praying for that neighbor than you pray for yourself. So as soon as they have shared their need, just lift up your voice to God and pray for them as if you are praying for yourself. Just pray for them for the next one minute as if you are praying for, them, for yourself. And say, Lord, consider my neighbor. Lord, consider my neighbor. Lord, hear this need. If you're done, you can start praying. If you've had the need, you can start praying. If, you have, if you've had the request, you can start praying. You can start praying. Just pray for them. Pray for them. I'm concluding in a minute, so you have a minute to cry out to God for them. Cry out to God for them. Cry out to God for them. Oh, speak passionately to Jehovah about the need of your neighbor. Lord, 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 you have called us to live beyond ourselves, to consider our brothers better than ourselves. No, I pray that this week, Lord, our prayers shall not just be about breakthrough, that we shall pray for the nation. We shall pray for the poor. We shall be disturbed by slums in this country. We shall pray for their prosperity. Oh, Labanda, Sakadebe, Anda. 
in the name of Jesus. You have one more minute to pray. One more minute to pray. Pray passionately. One more minute, church. Push for one minute and we are done. Lord, we believe you for breakthrough for our neighbor. I pray for neighboring churches that they shall experience growth, that they shall have resources, that they shall have impact, that their future shall be greater than ours. Because, Lord, you have called us to be wounded intercessors in the name of Jesus. Taso Bokaya. Sando. Sata. Jesus name. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Thank you for sticking into the end. We hope you are blessed by this message. Follow us for more of these messages when new episodes drop and make sure to rate us so that more people can find out about us. Bye-bye.